Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to In Liberty and Health. This is episode number 281. Um, I think today's discussion is going to be pretty interesting because me and this gentleman tonight um, have quite a bit in common, quite a lot of mutual friends. And I think we hail from the same political and I don't want to say cultural, but maybe kind of cultural background. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this show. I think this is going to be um, for a lot of the kind of like blue collar, red pill, libertarian guys, maybe dissident right wingers. I think it's going to be more kind Kind of up your alley so um i won't keep you guys too long in this portion of the show make sure you go to tigerfitness.com through the link below to get all the supplements that you could possibly need i know i need to restock on outright bars and um my daily multivitamin and all that good stuff elementt.com that's drink elementt.com slash in liberty and health um check out a common crown as well we just released our single cry about a month ago um we're gonna be playing some shows in the spring so um if anybody knows of anywhere that needs the the whole roof blown off let me know my dms are always open so um without further ado guys let's rock and roll what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Good afternoon, everybody. Today I have Red Hawk with me, or as he goes by Red Pilled Hawk on Twitter. What's up, man? Not much, man. I'm excited for this uh, conversation. As you said in that uh, intro, we have a lot of mutual friends, and uh, all of them spoke highly of you. And I had known of you uh, for some time, and it, it just like stars aligned and such. I was like, yeah, we gotta have a t- we we need to have a conversation. So this is gonna be fun. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, I, I noticed that and I know we kind of roamed around a lot of the um, Twitter sphere together. And I know that you kind of ran dissident right circles and as well, red pill circles as well, because I know I've seen you on, um, you know, uh, rule zero and all that stuff. And, um, you know, just kind of always enjoyed the people that we kind of run circles with. So I'm glad that everybody had nothing but good things to say, because, you know, I <laughs> if you catch me on Twitter, I'm a little bit of a bomb thrower. But, you know, mostly because I, I think that uh, I think you would probably agree with this, that our side needs a lot better of leaders and better people in our space to kind of bring the general average up so um why don't you give the audience a little bit of a detail about like how your political journey and kind of where you're at now right so um i've had a very interesting uh political journey uh to say the least and a lot of things happen in the right place at the right time and we could probably get into that as we get going here but um unlike a lot of people on distant right circles i never really had a journey uh from the left um my political foundation was always of the right yeah i i grew up in a uh, basically like normie kind kind of household you know like we were rah 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 like go go bush you know we were a huge bush family obviously you know uh, uh i met um uh, met romney when he was on a campaign in um you know 2008 uh went to one of his rallies and actually worked at one of them because uh, one of my friends in uh, my home state is actually a representative uh in my home state now so he's been involved in republican politics for a very long time and i had a uh you know a, a journey I guess you could call it like a, a real like awakening in politics, I guess with everybody around 2016, you know, I mean, the year where everything happened. Right. And I remember right. in that, and um, I was just finishing up college uh, at that time. 
uh, stuck around for a couple extra years to because I've switched majors like six or seven times, like all millennials basically, and still ended up with a worthless degree. But we'll <laughs> we'll get more on that later. But yeah, in uh, 2016 during that time, I was very much a kind of conservacon, you know, like return to normalcy kind of, you know, let's bring back conservative values such. And I was a really big fan of Ted Cruz uh, back in those days. And I remember vocally uh, being against Donald Trump uh, in those days. And then obviously like uh, once Trump ended up becoming the nominee, I was like, okay, now I got to get on board. And this is when I started spending way, way more time on like actual online, uh, specifically Twitter. I've been on Twitter for almost like a decade at this point. And that's when, you know, all like the 2016 energy of like Trump and like frog Twitter and everything was coming along the scenes. And kind of quickly, I, you know, shulked the, you know, more like conservacon talking points. It was like, okay, it's, it's time to get it all in behind uh, President Trump here, basically. And then throughout that time, around like uh from like 2018 to maybe 2019 to 2020 i was very active in libertarian circles um scott horton uh is a friend of mine uh, you know complete wealth of knowledge and such and it's such an amazing story how i actually met him we met at um uh at freedom fest in um uh God, what year was it it was 2020 uh during the lockdowns because i moved it to south dakota and uh i drove out there to south dakota with one of my friends and funny enough the guy whose room was across the hall from us was scott's <laughs> so nice yeah, yeah at, at the hotel so total by happenstance and basically what ended up happening is uh i just became his chauffeur for the entire event like back and forth from the hotel and such and we just like sparked up conversations we ended up going to mount rushmore together with spike cohen um and a couple other guys and you know we ended up just hanging out at subsequent uh freedom fest and tom woods 2000 and such and i met um our mutual friend and uh, Pete Quinona is there, which is funny because uh, obviously like Pete and I run uh, the old glory club together. You know, he's one of our uh, founding guys there. And it's funny. One of the jokes I told Pete, it was like, well, well, Pete, you and I've actually met on two separate occasions, but not when I was using this name <laughs> online, you know, so you wouldn't uh, have recognized me from back then, but yeah, it's, it's funny. And so uh, basically after the, um, after the lockdowns, uh, I shifted way further away from like libertarian politics and, Basically, where I find myself right now is just anti-regime is basically how I describe myself. You know, many people will call that dissident right. Uh, many people have issues with that term. I kind of do as well. But that's basically where I'm at right now. Uh, I see a lot of problems with um, libertarianism, specifically on like a metaphysical level and just also, you know, how most libertarians have uh, performed as it relates to in politics and also some major differences with their founding axioms uh, at this point as well. And I'm sure we can get into those, but that's my brief little blurb uh, right now of a long political journey over the last uh, decade or so. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, I definitely think I kind of come from a similar background with the exception of um, when I was growing up, you know, my mom and dad had split up when I was a kid. And I'd mostly grown up with my mom, but I grew up around like Republican people for the most part. And I was pretty pro Trump going into um, 20 into like the 2016 election and then probably for like the first two years. And then Tommy Sotomayor was kind of the guy that started planting some seeds in my mind that I would later not like Trump as much. But um, I, I understand where people are coming from. And uh, I was talking with the guys from Biting the Bullet on our show, uh, Five Till Midnight, and we uh, we all kind of like agree like you get why people who are right-leaning conservative or whatever like trump is because he really is a thorn in all the worst people's sides and that's mm -hmm. enough to just make you like him because you know despite all his flaws 
everybody that hates him is just so much worse and so much less charismatic and so much less funny that you just can't help but uh like the guy a little bit so like i, I completely understand where people are coming from um there's a lot that you said there that i i really want to dig into but um i i find that the dissident right thing when people say they're right wing, I see the same problem that libertarianism has where like Pete would say that like libertarianism is infested with progressives and that's absolutely true. But mm -hmm. that also applies to a lot of right wingers and I'm sure you would agree or like the right wing yeah. circle. I shouldn't say right wingers, but like the right wing circle overall. But um, one point that I brought up to him and I'm curious your thoughts as well is that like when you say you're explicitly right wing, then that drives away progressives, which mm. I think is something that libertarianism doesn't quite have the same sting to progressives which depending on your goals um is a very very good thing so is that kind of what i know you didn't necessarily say you're right wing but like for dissident right wingers do you kind of see that appeal as well yeah um you know the problem with um the term uh dissident right is kind of the same thing i guess you'd find the same issue with um libertarianism as mm -hmm. what does that term actually mean and right. I'm sure, I don't know if you've ever been to like these uh, Freedom Fests events or anything like this. It's like the big libertarian convention they have in the States every single year, right? And basically everybody and their grandmother shows up. You have, you know, your Ron Paul types, you have Spike Cohen types, you have people who backed Joe Jorgensen, you have people who are uh, like pro sex workers, you have like the drug people there, you have the Bitcoin people there. And it's like, uh, what is this? It's literally like a, just a complete hodgepodge, like a fruit salad, just everything getting thrown into the center here and saying, oh, okay, well, this is libertarianism. And, you know, like, uh, it's just like there, there's too much going on here. There, and it, as a result, it, it tends to skew your side to, uh, I guess you'd call it undesirables, let's say, you know, mm -hmm. and this is where many people like uh i mean well this is like where the whole mises caucus came from right at the beginning right, right. it's like they had to split off because they're like okay this is this is ridiculous how can there possibly be like pro-zionist people here under the libertarian <laughs> uh angle and still they're calling themselves libertarians you know so when you have these big giant catch-all terms you know you'll basically just let anybody in right and that obviously causes problems when you're trying to form a political coalition and you kind of see the shit right now with what's actually going on in uh, congress in the house with this you know forty thousand page omnibus spending package that they do and it's just got like a little bit of everything in for everybody when really if you actually want to have a you know a, a political movement or any piece of legislation it needs to be hyper focused you know, you just need to hyper focus on one or two very small things. And that's your, you know, your pet project, so to speak. And, you know, in any like sane world, any sane political coalition, you wouldn't have like people who want to legalize all drugs. And then also people who are really big into Bitcoin all under one banner, because they're all going to be different on many different issues. Yeah, that's interesting. And I kind of agree with you in the fact that like, you didn't say it, but in so many words, you said it that like, there almost needs to be some homogeneity amongst mm -hmm. libertarians if you want to be concentrated and successful. So like, um, I, I used to brand myself more as like a traditionally minded, right wing libertarian, I still would say that probably captures my whole ethos pretty well. But like, like you said, even when you say libertarian, then a lot of people might think like, oh, well, you're pro, you know, pro sex work, pro drugs and all this and that. Like, I've never smoked weed a day in my life, never smoked a cigarette. I've drank alcohol, but like never done any drugs. I've been with the same woman now for five years. So, I mean, you would, people would say, oh, well, you're pretty conservative then. Okay, but I have yeah. tattoos and I play in a metal band too. So like, mm -hmm. you know, I still fit under this banner of libertarian, but like, I'm not pro sex work. Like I'm 
you know, pro decriminalizing it, but I still think there should be a moral stigma around it. And I don't think people should be doing drugs either. And I think that when you go out in public, you should not look like a slob. So, you know, where, where do I fit in here? But I, I think that's kind of like the libertarian vision that we need to have is like upstanding individuals that are respectable people amongst our peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess the, the biggest question, and this is like the question in all libertarianism, right? Is like, well, what is going to be the enforcement mechanism for all those standards once the state goes away? Mm -hmm. oh, well, number one, if you can, if you can even get the state to go away, which is, right. you know, a, a, a Herculean feat in and of itself, but we'll, we'll ignore that for a moment here. But yeah, who, who's actually going to be enforcing the norms afterwards? And as far as I'm concerned, the only guy who really got this right was Hans Hermann Hoppe, you know, at the end of it. And that's a really big no-no name in many of the uh, libertarian circles. Right. Uh, most people you'll ask because uh, he says some, uh, not only some true things, but some pretty base things because he actually takes the arguments to their logical conclusion where it's be like, uh, yeah, there's going to have to be enforcement. It's going to have to be enforced with a gun. And that's just literally the end of it. And then people, you know, on the libertarian side, it's like, no, like if we just magically, you know, uh, uh, get rid of all uh, enforcement mechanisms of the state, everything's going to be harmonious. And, you know, that's starting to sound way more like communism to me uh, as opposed to, you know, <laughs> like actual liberty for people. And I guess my, my biggest uh, critique of uh, libertarianism is, is that, uh, well, number one, uh, they say like freedom is like the ultimate goal here. It's like, okay, that, that sounds admirable on paper, but the big problems that come with that are number one, uh, can everybody be free? Does everybody want to be free? And then number three, should everybody be free? And I think there's all, the answer to all those questions. If you ask a libertarian will be yes. And I think if you ask anybody with a brain, all those answers should be no. Um, not everybody can be free. Not everybody should be free. And obviously not everybody wants to be free. I mean, we just saw this with COVID. Not everybody wants to be. And then also like, uh, as it relates to should everybody be free? Well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, no, everybody shouldn't be free. It's like, well, Red Hawk, why would you say that? It's pretty, you know, uh, authoritarian of you. And my answer would be, uh, yes, uh, it's, it's simply the people that shouldn't be free are the people who are my enemies. And, and I think this is just how uh, it should function in any society and how it always has functioned in any society. There's always an in-group and there's always an out-group and the in-group needs to be protected and the out-group needs to be shunned away uh, because human beings at the end of the day uh, we're different. There's in-group preferences. There's differences between uh, cultural groups. There's differences between racial groups. Uh, this is just undeniable at this point. So your utopian idea of everybody being held up to the same standards is just what it is, utopian. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny that you kind of bring all that up because I've been thinking about a lot of this stuff a lot recently because of all the stuff kind of going on down at the border. And it really calls into question, you know, a lot of these libertarian ideals. If, like you said, if freedom's the maximum, the, the paramount idea that we're kind of striving for, then what does that mean? And like you said, should everybody be free? And we also do have to contend with the fact that there are differences across races, you know, across IQ and all, all that stuff. So like, I was, I've been racking my brain about this stuff. And I'm curious your thoughts as well. But like, you know, if you look at like Asian cultures, they have a very, very high IQ, and they have a very tight knit family structure. Um, would that be, you know, a group of people that would work well with people like you and I, who I'm guessing are probably like, you know, white middle-class people who are blue collar by nature. I don't know. Um, now when you start looking over and let's say, you know, Muslim countries or Latin countries, countries where people speak Mexican or whatever, <laughs> um, you, you know, they, they, they are a little bit more low IQ. Can those people tolerate the same responsibility that comes with the maximum amount of freedom like you or I could, or Asian cultures could. 
I don't know. I, I'm not saying, you know, that these people are any less or they're bad people, but I mean, there's questions to be asked about their literal ability. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen, you know, in jobs that you've worked that there are some people who just are not as ready to go on the job to do things, you know, and I'm an automotive technician. So, I mean, I see people who are very, very proficient at reading wiring schematics and fixing cars. And I've seen people that like, I wouldn't trust them to fucking turn on my electric lawnmower. So. <laughs> Like there's, there's a wide variance of ability and people's abilities are going to dictate the amount of freedom they can ultimately tolerate in their own lives. Because, you know, at a certain point, you're going to have to realize that like these people are a danger to some other people. And I'm not saying this is like entire groups of people, but there definitely are some certain people where you look at them, you're like, I wouldn't trust this person with fucking $2, let alone, you know, maintaining the infrastructure of my community. Yeah. You know, and what's so absurd when, whenever anybody has this, uh, like kind of conversation you and I are discussing right now, and you'll see the left do this every single opportunity they have, especially on Twitter is they immediately, uh, see anyone discussing, uh, differences between groups and they immediately assume, well, uh, then that means you just want to exterminate everybody that isn't like you. And it's like, how how did how exactly does that follow you know right it, there's like, a lot okay. of room there yeah yeah exactly it's like okay so there's differences between groups well then the the logic must be that we must eliminate all of the groups and i'm like that well that should just show you the mind of uh a comedy and a leftist there the only way to make a forest equal is with an axe you know i mean that's that's just their uh thought process right there and it's like okay so we acknowledge that there's differences between groups i also think that uh, a political system uh, really, it's kind of absurd to have this conversation about a political system outside of its context of the people that it was formed for and in the context of the time in which it was made. Um, I think it's kind of weird for people to talk about like, oh, well, uh, the founders made this document coming up on 250 years ago now, and therefore it's uh, perfect for sub-Saharan Africans that were flying in from across the world through our southern border, and it's going to somehow work for them. Uh, I think that's ridiculous, just as much as I would think it would be ridiculous if we were to have a 11th century English monarch, you know, come in and take over the United States of America right now. Uh, I think politics is a reflection of the people in their place, in their time. And obviously when you change the demographics of those people, uh, that political system just simply isn't going to work for them. You know, it's like, and you can see this right now, you know, of what's happening. Like, um, take, for example, we just had um, Ilhan Omar uh, last week, the Somali, um, you know, second generation immigrant, I guess you can call her, who is like currently in control of uh, Minnesota's uh, district and such. And she's just blatantly talking about uh, how her job in uh, the government of the United States is to put Somali interests first. It's just what she's saying right there. And it's like, well, no shit. That's what her response is going to be, because that's literally how it's ran in her home it's country her preference. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's um, and this also goes into the, uh, you know, the broader discussion as well about things like American foreign policy, which, you know, the absolute absurd and stupid idea that we were going to somehow bomb the Middle East into having a 21st century democracy right. is completely fucking farcical as well. You know, so there's like two sides of this thing. It's like, okay, well, uh, we can import people and conform them to our values, or we could just bomb people into our other values as well. And I think both of these are completely ludicrous ideas. And people from different backgrounds, from different groups all over the planet should have the absolute right to, you know, uh, express their own biospirit. Uh, I really like that term, like the the biospirit and such. So if, if you're part of a certain country in, certain, in another part of the world, 
You can still have alliances and still have agreements with uh, other nations. It's literally how it's been since the beginning of time. Not everybody has to have the exact same political system. Right. But this idea that everybody's just going to be the same and see the light of American democracy and we're all going to, you know, the sun's never going to set on the American empire. No, I think this is proven false. Right, right. Uh, I'm going to get some of these chats real quick and then we'll kind of keep rolling because I think they kind of roll into what we're saying. Yeah, Yinzer, I appreciate the $5 super chat, brother. Thank you so much. We were talking about this before the show. Jay Forte, I appreciate it. I showed some of these comments at the beginning. Uh, Kate, yes, Red Hawk is awesome. Uh, hey, and Kate. then, yeah, and then I uh, kind of tagging on here, uh, Nuclear Cadillo, the average IQ for Dominicans is 82. So this kind of goes to what we were already saying, but like imagine if you had an 82 IQ worker. Um, you know, the average white guy in the United States, I believe the IQ is like around 100, maybe like 102. Okay, so probably most guys like myself are probably going to fall in the range of like 95 to 102. Now, I've done an IQ test. I think mine came out to like 127 or something like that. So you could say I'm above average. I'm not here to flex on people, whatever. But like now, if you have people that have like that much less of a cognitive ability, once again, you start saying that these are like bad people, but like you have to question if they can function in the way that would be necessary to make this a prosperous area, you know? So, or, or am I saying like these people should have no rights or anything like that? You know, that, that's a discussion for, you know, wherever these people would want to be and how they want to run like their specific area. But like, if you have all these people running into areas like, you know, Vandegrift here where I live, where it's a steel town, you know, there's literally a mill right over the hill from here. Um, you're going to change the demographics and you have to ask if these people are capable of doing the manual labor and, you know, the mental labor of, that requires maintaining the infrastructure around here, you know, all the blue collar work and stuff like that. So um, just this idea that we're supposed to believe that all people are equal and everybody can come here and everything's going to be fine. It's a far school idea, like you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is basically what our entire uh, American regime that has basically been ruling us since 1945 is based off of. It's all based on – it's an empire of lies basically. There's lies about the, the differences between groups. There's lies about the differences between men and women. There's lies about you know virtually everything you could think about in our society, how, how wealth is created – uh, you know, where, where tax revenue goes from, you know, everything basically it, it's, I mean, I don't really listen too much to, um, establishment politicians these days, but I kind of have to for, you know, running like the OGC stuff. And when I have to sit down and listen to discussions from your everyday politician, I just laugh. Cause I'm like, there's almost nothing except the word the that comes out of these people's mouths that is any semblance of reality at all they're everything is just built upon lies upon lies upon lies and as a result they just have to keep on doubling down on the lies because if they were actually going to have to sit down and face the consequences of the lies that have been told to them for the last you know coming up on a uh, hundred years here pretty damn soon uh you know in any sane society, people are going to ask for, you know, uh, uh, for a tree and some rope, uh, basically, is what people are going to be asking for. And yeah. so, so of course, they're going to keep doubling down. And we're going to keep doubling down until the system just collapses all on top of us right now. And you're already starting to see it fracture out the edges with things like the American empire losing its, um, you know, grip uh, over its foreign uh, territories. And then also here at home with things like the competency crisis. So you can see the fractures are going everywhere and nobody wants to actually address it because then they'd have to say to themselves, 
oh my God, what the hell have we done giving $16 trillion to the black community for education since 1965? And it hasn't changed IQ differences one, one point at all. Uh, what's going to happen when we have to admit to ourselves that the 100,000 plus uh, American soldiers died in the Middle East and all the other actions abroad for absolutely nothing? What's going to happen when we have to admit that there are uh, many uh, Zionist interests in the United States government that are currently controlling many, many politicians on both sides to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, shorten the coffers of, uh, you know, the American treasury and also in things like Ukraine and in other, you know, foreign wars and such. So, you know, basically like, yeah, these guys are in trouble and, and I think they know it at this point. Right. Yeah. And I completely agree because um, one thing that I, I think, you know, Buck Johnson, but um, the last time I had him on, um, I think him and I kind of talked about this a little bit, but he he quoted Ron Paul. He said that, you know, whether the U.S. likes it or not, the troops are coming home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be whether, you know, by hook or by crook, they're coming home. And um, one thing that I kind of want to pivot over to is libertarian metaphysics. Now, one thing I wanted to add on kind of to the end of this, because this all ties together. Um, I think a lot of libertarians believe that our ideology, if you will, is going to be the one that succeeds. And like, if you meet a lot of libertarians, they're not very impressive people. And this is part of the reason why I started this show is mm -hmm. because I'm like, hey, I want to give libertarians useful stuff about health and fitness, geopolitics, and even libertarian stuff, but mainly like health and fitness. So like, okay, um, if we can improve their lives through health and fitness, then they're more impressive people. And therefore, maybe they can have a little bit more influence in their community and their lives. Now, also, when it comes to like libertarian metaphysics, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, too, because um, my friend Tommy here in the chat, well, you got Tim Welch on. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> He's, he's a really, really good friend of mine, but um, he recently adopted, or adopted Orthodox Christianity, as a lot of friends at our sphere have, mm. and um, I've been agnostic as long as possible, and um, I, I don't want to say I've had, like, a, a crisis or anything like that, but, like, I've really had to tangle with, like, this idea of religion and belief and stuff like that, because as I get older, I find myself more attracted by it, and... You know, I, I do ask the questions of like, okay, well, what, you know, what objectively defines a morality if it's not some kind of religion? So, like, a part of me is like, okay, well, Christian ethics seems to work pretty well. Even though I'm agnostic, I recognize that, like, these rules have been in place for a long time throughout history and have seemed to lead to a lot of, like, prosperity for a lot of people. And then a lot of my friends who are religious as well seem to do really, really well by that. So, I see that as, like, a very, very useful tool for people. But um, I'm still skeptical skeptical on the belief in god because i just honestly i've never seen anything that would convince me beyond a shadow of reasonable doubt that there is a higher power there so i know that's a lot to kind of throw at you but mm. you brought up libertarian libertarianism metaphysics so i'm kind of curious your thoughts on that yeah you know i i definitely have many many similar thoughts as well um a little bit different background i mean sure. i got a i got a double dosage i was raised uh eastern orthodox and roman catholic so i <laughs> my dad was roman catholic my mom was Eastern orthodox so sure. i got baptized in both and got like a double dosage um, when i was a kid so and i've definitely like faded away from that uh definitely towards my adult years and Honestly, the biggest thing that turned me away from it was just the Christians I associated with, like all of them were getting divorced, which, you know, definitely set me down a red pill path, which right. we can talk, which we can talk about more later. But oh, wow. yeah, just just the behavior of most uh, churchgoers that I've ran into in my entire life, just, you know, just pointing me into the directions like, OK, people are just wearing this like a skin suit, basically, you know, and and yes. I kind of. 
And I'm finding it way, way more difficult for me as I get older here to, I find myself agreeing with bronze age pervert more and more and more on this. And what he says that uh, I don't, he doesn't think that anybody to lay genuinely believes. And I, I find it kind of hard to uh, fight that uh, to some extent because we're just in a time that's just so far removed from when everybody in the entire world was religious and we just never question it, you know, like uh, up, up until like, you know, uh, 1910 or whatever, just everybody in the history of everything, you know, was just believing in some sort of uh, higher power. Like, how could you not? And just the fact that we are like here in 2024, most of us are even questioning this idea just shows us how far removed we are from those people. Now, at the same time, I cannot deny that, um, you know, I guess like the, the Christian worldview and such, if employed properly, which again is like the big question, right? Uh, these days, particularly when you look at the state of modern churches and such, um, it does uh, tend to produce very good outcomes, especially in the West. Uh, we could argue if it's produced as good out outcomes in places like Latin America or, you know, um, or sub Saharan Africa and such, because this is like the argument you get from like a lot of, um, you know, hardcore, like a uh, Christian nationalist types where it's like, oh, well, I guess it's kind of okay that we're letting in, you know, hundreds of thousands of Mexicans through the Southern border because they're all Catholics. And I'm like, uh, that argument doesn't hold weight to me at all. Uh, just when you actually see the results of uh, what has happened here. I mean, Haiti has been, uh, you know, religious uh, Catholic for over 200 years at this point, and the place is a complete shithole. So, I mean, I, I don't really buy too much into this argument that, oh, if the entire Western world was just to adopt Christianity uh, largely again, then all of our problems are going to be fixed. I'm a little skeptical of that. But at the same time, um, I, I'm absolutely not in the business of, you know, like this stupid, like Reddit tier atheist, like new age atheist crap of dunking on yeah. Christians and stuff for their faith or their belief. Right. I mean, you know, plenty of my friends are very strange believers and more power to you. Uh, I find it difficult for myself to uh, believe to that level. But, you know, I just think it's so cringe and so fucking stupid for people to like dunk on other people's like genuine religious beliefs. Like, I, I wish I could have that, but I find it difficult. Yeah, well, you know, what's funny is that I'm in like the same exact boat as you like when I see the Reddit tier atheist arguments against religion, I, it just drives me nuts because it's like, you see how like good religion can be for a lot of people. And to dunk on people who like objectively are living good lives, and they attribute a lot of that to religion. I, I, I can't knock that. I cannot knock that. And I've never seen anybody who's an atheist and agnostic be able to attribute their lack of belief to the prosperity in their lives. So like, I, it goes back to red pill, really. Like if it's useful, then it's red pill. If it's not, then it's not red pill. So like yeah. from a red pill perspective, religion is a good thing for a lot of people because, hey, if this is going to keep you becoming more and more Christ-like, as they might say, and this is like my perspective from a very, very ignorant position because I, I'm like completely ignorant on religion. Um, I believe both, or my dad's a Freemason i don't know it he's not like real deep into it but you know just kind of goes out and have some beers every here and there and then mm. my mom i believe is a catholic um and i didn't see them a lot when i was growing up so like we never went to church or anything like that but like when i see people who are very very deep in their faith and once again typically these are very very moral people so i don't know i, I just hate this idea of knocking people for their religious beliefs and um I don't really see Christians doing that to atheists as much or really at all. Yeah. I mean, 
I guess the thing that really gets it uh, for me is just comes down to kind of like manhood as well. And this is why I have such an issue with some of your, uh, I mean, if we could talk about these people because they're in the Twitter space these days and they've been insufferable lately, the, the Christ pilled people and such. It's just, <laughs> oh my just, God. Lo- just looking at you from like an actual, like a man perspective and such like, okay, I'll just take for example, like in the old glory club, which I run with a bunch of um, other dissident right guys, uh, dissident right Americans there. And by all other metrics, uh, our organization should not work because other right-wing organizations have completely failed in the past because people have slight uh, ideological disagreements and the whole group just falls the fuck apart. But basically what it is is that we're, we're all adults and we all can acknowledge that, yeah, we share beers together, we drink together. And, and you know, my friends would call me like degenerate, but I'm not going to like go throw fists at them or anything like that, you know, because we're adults and we're actually men and such. But when you look at these like uh, Christ pill guys on Twitter who are like 23 years old, uh, somehow think that they um, have the right to come into my mentions and say how I should or shouldn't be living my life when they have, you know, no like body of work or no like established rapport with me. That's the kind of stuff that pisses me off. It's like, it's like, who the fuck are you to come walking in here? I say this all the time. I forget who quoted this, but it's one of the Red Pill guys. And I wish I could attribute it right now, but it's so perfect. It's so many of these guys understand uh, men less than they understand women, which should tell you something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I just got blocked by that sovereign bra chase dude today. And, um, uh, what drives me nuts about somebody like him is like, he, he's not a bad looking dude, but like he's wearing his religion. Like you said earlier, like a fucking skin suit to sell you his dating network and is sanctimoniously preaching to everybody. And like, you're not married, dude. So mm-hmm. like, what yeah. are you doing here? And then like, not only that, I, I tweeted this out right before we got on. I hate, I fucking hate dishonest marketing. Mm. So like when you tell this huge story about how there's this great trad girl looking for a guy and then you literally plug your dating network underneath that and say you can find girls like this in my dating network go oh, fuck well, yourself dude yeah, no, yeah like this is the most out. yeah it's the most ridiculous bullshit in the world because you know there's dudes out there who aren't smart enough they're gonna go in there and say oh my god i could find the girl of my dreams here oh, sign me up and they're gonna throw money at him and then guess what it ain't gonna find a girl or the girl that's in there just got in there so that way she could try and sleep with chase and the next <laughs> thing you know these guys feel completely disaffected and they you know go become fucking reddit tier atheists because they said oh this dude was a jack off about religion once so now i'm an atheist and i'm gonna go like shave half my head and dye my hair blue like that's what you produce when you do shit like this I, it mm-hmm. drives me fucking insane people who just masquerade their religion around as, as a brand like in my mind religion is something very very personal to you and i did say that like you should pri- or you pri- practice it privately i don't you shouldn't practice it privately but like this is something personal that shouldn't be like a branding thing that you throw in everybody's fucking face like this should be something that's personal to you you share with people but it's not like oh yeah well i'm i'm a fucking catholic or i'm an orthodox christian like Tommy in the chat or uh, Buck Johnson, they're not going to do that to you. They'll, you know, if you're talking about it and it comes up in conversation, they'll bring it up, but they're not going to like make their entire personality and brand around that and then sell you a dating network under the guise that mm-hmm. you're going to get a trad wife if you just join it. It should trust me nuts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the worst is like they'll they'll come at you and say, like, "Oh, like, oh, you're gonna burn in hell for eternity if you don't listen to exactly what I'm telling you at this time." It's like, 
all right, pal. Uh-huh. Yeah, we just met. And is this how you would actually talk to another human being well, when you're actually in the room with them? And I'm not talking about that like some kind of like, oh, like a bullshit, like manosphere, like, oh, we're going to go box or some like, you know, bullshit that like uh, people get into. It's just like, dude, it tells me you spend like way too much time online and you're not actually talking with other human beings. And as much as like the term is kind of cringe, like touch grass, you know, like th right. there actually is some validity to that, you know, and like who actually talks this way who actually goes into a setting with other men who you're trying to do business with you're trying to actually have like a, a productive conversation with and such and when the other guy voices his opinion you just like spurg out and say you're gonna burn in hell it's like all right okay i'm i know i'm not inviting you to the next party mm -hmm. yeah so. dude you must be a lot of fun at parties if that's a way that you talk i i called him a grifter and then he literally put a gif and said you when you die like <laughs> you're, you're talking about <laughs> gonna burn in hell because i called you a grifter for selling your fucking dating network like okay all right i guess i'm gonna burn in hell and i hope they have whiskey there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but yeah i mean I, I guess that just like ropes into the whole discussion about like the the red pill space which like what does that even mean at this point like the the right. term has been so unbelievably watered down and you know like uh the, the rp going mainstream was just such a huge mistake uh it's it's done it's done nothing but cause us like, you know, problems. And, you know, I, I shouldn't really use it like the, the term us either. Cause it's not like, you know, we're a, a secret cabal and everyone's got like, you know, membership cards or anything like that. But, you know, like the, at, at this point, I'm just, um, I just like ruthlessly block people who start like uh, talking like really, really stupid shit, like even in my comments. And and there's no shortage of this on both sides, you know, not, not just like the, the Christ build people, but also like mm -hmm. your, your Andrew Tate kind of people who like, uh, you know, uh, once you get an account that's like a uh, fairly large on um, uh, Twitter, you start like just naturally starting to have women come into your comment sections and start like having back and forth with people. And I just ruthlessly block people who start arguing with women in my mentions. I fucking hate it. It's like, dude, stop. You, you, they're just like repeating like rational male talking points 101. It's like you're the walls coming up and you're about to lose all your eggs and, and shit's about to go down unless you do exactly what the man says at this minute. It's like, shut the fuck up, dude. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You know, you've read one rational male article and now you think that you should be like talking about this like topic. Right. It's like, no, no, you're just turning people away. And that's all of these like, you know, uh, the, the fresh and fits, the whatever's, the Andrew Tate's of the world and stuff. They're, they're absolutely 100% net negatives. There's nothing positive that has come from any of these people. And I knew like the jury was out, um, you know, still out on that like a couple of years ago when they were first on the scene. But at this point, it's just so obvious at this point that these guys are just nothing but cancer. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I completely agree. And it's funny because like people might hear you say that and think, oh, he's on my side. Like he hates Rolo and all the other red pill guys too. But it's like, no, like we're actually friends with these people. And we look at the cancer that you see as well. But the difference is, is that like, we still see the use in the tools, but you have people who take the tools or the arguments that, you know, the way they interpret it, and then just completely bastardize it. And then like you said, you see these assholes arguing with people online and like, would you really walk up to a woman in person and say, oh my God, you're going to hit the wall and you're never going to have kids. You're going to live in like, who the fuck talks like that to people? No, you know, and it's, it's not, ridiculous. it's not like it. And it's also like not a, oh, like I got to go defend um, a lady's honor here or something right. like this. It's not that what it tells me is, is that you guys just don't get it. You haven't understood the material. You haven't <laughs> done any of the work. You're just repeating the talking points. Like you're on like a sports team. 
like, oh man, I'm on, I'm on team red pill. So I got to go in and like uh, fight all like the blue pillars. I'm going to fight all the women now because like we're all part of this team. Yeah, man. Right. Is that right? It's like, no, the tools are there for you to actually improve your own life and have like good relationships with women. If that's what you want to do, it's not for you to go around, and like hold up a sign that says like, you know, like those old memes, like the end is nigh. It's like, you're not supposed to say like the, like the red pill is nigh or something like that. This is bullshit. Yeah. Nuclear Kadia, I appreciate it, brother. $10 and one cent super chat. Um, as we would say in our sphere, thank you for the penny. Uh, their utopia is not your utopia. They lost the fight. What makes you think they'll win the rematch? Tradconism was destroyed by an unreversible process. They want the world better for their kids, not you. Yeah, absolutely. And really, all you can do as a guy in today's world is make sure that like your life and everything you are in control of is as good as it can possibly be. Right. So like I didn't start the podcast until I already, you know, was well established in my job. I this year is going to be seven years that I've been in the house that I've been in. Um, it's just I've done pretty well for myself since I graduated college, and I, you know, I stepped out of Libertarian Party politics pretty early on in the show. But like, I didn't want to be out here telling people how to live or giving people information if I wasn't like living this example. Mm. So like, I. I Really, all you can do is make your life as good as possible. And that's kind of what the Red Pill's always been about. It's just like, hey, what can you do to improve your own life? Versus mm -hmm. like, you know, when you see Pearl or Fresh and Fit, people that are trying to give prescriptions. This makes us look like a bunch of fucking retards because we get lumped in with them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and also like this really isn't meant to be a place where you're supposed to like hang your hat at, so to speak, like, you know, like, a, like a career, like, Oh, I'm going to hang my hat here. This is going to be my forever career. It's like the red pill space really isn't supposed to be a spot where people are sitting there watching like Rolo streams for 10 years. You know, I mean like no offense to the guy. I'm like, obviously we're friends, we're friends and stuff like that. But like, you know, I'm not trying to like take away his like subscriber base here or something like that. But like, no, the, the point is for you to uh, figure out the tools, apply them to your life. The ones that you feel like are the ones that apply to you the most. Obviously some are, and some aren't going to, you know, depending on your position in your life, which is why we don't give prescriptions. And then you're supposed to move on. You're supposed to internalize the stuff and then go out and do it, whatever it is that you want to do. You know, like, trust me, uh, Rolo's going to be fine. You know, you don't, you don't need to be watch, watching every one of his streams for 10 years and fighting everybody in his comment section. The dude, the dude's doing just fine. Trust me. So, you know, that's, that's like the point of all the stuff. It's not a team like blood sports kind of deal. It's, you know, take what you need and get out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to read these two comments here as well. Ultimately, competent men with balls are always going to be okay. And yeah, I mean, that's generally the attitude that you have to have. And I mean, that's there's a lot of truth in that. Like, as long as you kind of know what you're doing and are willing to work just a little bit harder than everybody else, you're going to be fine. Like, the average dude is so unimpressive that all you have to do is just put in a little tiny bit of effort, and you're going to be fine. A nuclear, uh, Kadiano and I talked about this when he was on my show a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like Tommy's comment here a lot too Team Red Pill, we talk about winning without tasting them. Go team. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny <laughs> is that there's probably a lot of guys out here who do exactly what you say. They spend all this time with the Red Pill, but they don't ever go touch grass be a sociable person and enjoy the company of others and be somebody that's enjoyable to be around. Yeah. You red know, pill I, masturbators, we call them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And those people should be made fun of. It's like the, uh, it, I, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like incels people who just like are just screaming about problems that are completely solvable, but they want to put absolutely no effort in to fix them. So like, if you don't want to put any effort forth, that's fine, but you lose your right to bitch. And if you bitch, I'm just going to make fun of you till you cry. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, listen, oh, are there some legitimate uh, criticisms that people in like, you know, whatever you want to call it, MGTOW or incel or things like that, are there legitimate things for them to be bringing attention to? Uh, yes, there absolutely are. However, that does, that is not an excuse for you to constantly for the rest of your days, just go ahead and bitch about it. If you acknowledge right. these like truths about the world, then okay, acknowledge it and move on. It's like, it's like bitching about gravity. Like, like, like who the fuck is going to do that? Go out and actually do something, you know, do whatever it is that you're going to do. But you like autistically like yelling at, you know, some person like Pearl Davis's com comments, like 24 hours a day. Like, like who's that going to change? Like, has anyone's mind actually ever really been changed? Like uh, by having like a Twitter argument with somebody, uh, certainly not a woman, you know, <laughs> it's, it's definitely not how their brains work. So yeah, I think for the most part, even when you see like a lot of these debates and like, don't get me wrong, I enjoy watching them. But um, much like you just said, you're not changing anybody's mind. Most of the time you're watching it because it's entertaining and you want to see your guy own the other guy. And like, even when it's not like a entirely blood sporty kind of debate, I still enjoy it. But like, once again, don't ever go into a debate or watch a debate with the impression that like the person, the two people that are talking are willing to change their mind. These people are there to just kind of prove their points and the audience is going to watch. And then some on the fringes may change their mind, but generally most people are just going to watch and walk away with the same conclusions they went in with. And that's really all you can do. Yeah. You're never debating to change the mind of your opponent. You're having a debate to change the minds of the audience. And it's only going to be a very small, small subset of your audience that is open to having their minds changed, you know? And, and also you just have to think about like any debate that destiny ever got into, of course he wasn't going to change his mind because he loses audience. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, and it's basically like the same thing with all of these people, you know? And, and I'm, I, I fucking hate it when uh, people start bringing in like uh, stats to anything because you can make stats like show anything. You know, uh, I don't know how uh, familiar you are with uh, Bill Burr's uh, comedy, but he's got this bit that's so fucking funny about um, how stats are so fucking stupid. And the, basically like the, the bit is basically like, oh, um, uh, someone tried to get me to go snorkeling. He's like, oh, I didn't want to get eaten by a shark. He's like, well, actually, 90% of shark attacks occur in shallow water. He's like, no shit. That's where the people are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like, yeah, you could you could change stats to uh, support any argument, which is why people are always getting in fights with us and like the red pill space and such. It's like, well, well, where's your statistics and your statistics say this and your statistics say that. And the the response from, you know, anybody who's like legitimately like red pill and internalized the stuff like the material, your response should just be Chad. Yes. Like the Chad. Yes. Meme to everything. It's like, OK. Yeah. All right. Uh, sure. Your, your stats are correct. Now, what are you going to do about it? And like, you're not going to magically like change my experiences in life. Like I came from a TradCon background. I, uh, you know, took in all the blue pill conditioning to all these like Christ pill dudes, like uh, are trying to shill on everybody else. And it was a colossal failure for me. I started adopting more and more red pill of a mindset in my life as the years have gone by and my results have only improved as time has gone by. So what are your stats going to do to change like my, like actual real life experiences? You know, and there's plenty of other guys in the red pill space that can attest to the exact same thing. Now we, we actually have like replicability and a lot of the stuff that we talk about, which is better than what could be said for any of the social sciences or the psychology departments at this point, where it's what, like 90% of their studies can't be, um, you know, replicated, you know, cause they're all basically fake science. Uh oh, I don't know. And maybe I uh, disconnected or maybe Kyle did. Uh oh. Oh no! Hold on, it might be it might be a my end thing. Let me check. No, 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 that, that's oh. me. Can you still see me? Oh, that was you. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I got you. I don't. 
I, I see the little Wi-Fi thing. So hopefully that, okay. Yeah. It's starting to go back up. My bad. Um, I don't ever like engage with like the social stats or the social study stuff because like, I, I don't see those as very, very useful sciences. Now, like when it comes to nutrition and resistance training stuff, those usually actually have pretty good replicability. And I know some of the people that run some of the studies and I've talked with them and I've read the studies myself and you can see meta-analysis and this kind of stuff. You never see meta-analysis with like social study stuff, because like you said, they're not, you know, they can't be replicated. So like what use is, are these social science studies if they're not replicable and like they're just incredibly unreliable nutrition stuff like, okay, well, if you have meta-analysis and like you employ a lot of these nutrition stuff, like, Hey, if you increase more protein in your diet and you get more lean mass gains, then okay, well, that's useful. If you know that like, Hey, if I incorporate carbohydrates to a larger degree, rather than just fats and protein in my diet, then I have more energy when I work out. That's all useful stuff, but like, you know, like the body count stuff, I, I get it. And I kind of enjoy talking about it because it just pisses people off. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny to watch the reactions, but like at the same time, what are you going to do about that? Like <laughs> we realize in this environment right now, everybody's sleeping around. Don't obsess yeah. over it. You can only control what you can control. That's it. Exactly. And you know, here's the other thing to attach to this. I mean. You know, to, to throw a little bit of a bone to the, um, uh, you know, to the, the, the data science people here, uh, it's not just that, you know, like our, our gripe with these people would be like, oh, like uh, their, their studies can't be replicated because there's a bunch of diversity hires and they're shitty at their jobs. And, you know, they make up a bunch of whack science. That's a big part employed. It is a big part of it. But the other part of that is as well is that they have limitations of what they can actually go about and study. Right. So take, take, for example, like you would never get the grant money and the authorization to have a social experiment done in a university where a bunch of guys are going to go sleep with a bunch of chicks and then not text them back and see what happens. Right. You know, they'll never pass. They'll never yeah. go through, but there are many recordings of this and reports of this on like things like the red pill forums and things like this, where we can actually have discussions and experiments uh, for lack of a better word that would never, ever pass the, you know, I don't know, what would you call it? There's, there's probably like some regulations or some shit. That Ethics to, board. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, would, it would never get past one of those. So that's the other thing there. It's not, it's not just that their science sucks, which is that, but it's also that they can't actually be, have boots on the ground like we do. So it's like the two, uh, you know, the big attack from both sides here, pincer movement, if you will. Yeah. So one thing that you kind of brought up there when it comes to like the Christ pill guys and the religious people, and, and I mean, I'm sure if people have listened throughout this whole podcast, I've had nothing but praise for them. But like at the same time, you can't just expect people to have prosperous lives when you just tell them, hey, if you just pray more or you just follow scripture more, then all your life's problems are going to go away. And this is why I've never seen like red pill and religion as mutually exclusive things like our mutual friend, Glenn Lawrence, he's a freaking college educated pastor. And he's as red pill as anybody. So like, I don't get why people think there has to be this exclusion when there's really not. It's just that like a lot of people want to say that like, hey, if you just follow my religion, then all your problems are going to go away. Or if everybody adopted insert religion here, then all the world's problems would go away. And like, you know, even to criticize our own side, if people, you know, and not that anybody believes this, but like, you know, if everybody just learned red pill praxeology, then all the problems would go away. Nobody actually says that, no. but nobody believes it either. The problem mm -hmm. is that I think some religious people literally believe that, hey, if everybody just adopted Eastern Orthodox Christianity or Catholicism or whatever religion, then all the world's problems would be gone. That's all. It's a ridiculous idea that is just never going to happen. Yeah, well, it, it would also be one thing if they actually had like a 
uh, a set set of guidelines and standards for what that actually means. But the problem is, is that where you have so many of these situations, I mean, like there's an example right here. Um, like anytime like a TradCon guy or like a Christ pill guy gets divorced or something, the default argument is always to be, well, he just wasn't Christian enough or something. It's like a no true Scotsman fallacy. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's unfalsifiable. So how can you actually have a discussion with these people uh, on this topic here? You know, it's like, okay, well, if you, you didn't go to the church that went to mass only on Tuesdays and is the Latin mass for left-handed people, you know, so you gotta, you gotta go to that one. And and that's the one that's going to give you the results that you need. And it's like, well, is it the system or is it like the individual? And that's where it comes down to actual like red pill praxeology here. It's like, listen here, man, like people could tell you about how all these other like great societal changes or such are going to uh, fix your life. And no doubt some of those are probably going to be true. Um, you know, some of those absolutely would improve your life. Like for example, like if, uh, if there wasn't so much feminism today, would it be easier for guys to get a job? Undoubtedly. Yes. That is undoubtedly true, of course. But that also doesn't mean that you shouldn't be like competent in any job or a workplace where someone would actually want to go ahead and hire you and you to go ahead and do a good job just because in times previously it was easier. It's not an excuse for you to do nothing. Yeah. And it's so funny to me that people think that like, we're just saying, oh, we'll just give up. Like that's never anybody's answer. You learn about the information and then you apply it. And also you should always be trying to make the most of yourself. And like, this isn't just exclusive to the red pill either. Like this is something that I think the post libertarians got spot on correct. And it's why I never really had like a problem with them because there were literally people, you know, getting paid to fly or to fly out to Las Vegas to go to uh, the las vegas show or uh, the las vegas libertarian um convention out there and um it was the year that i got married but like michael heiss hit me up and said hey we'll pay for you to fly out to vegas i'm like no like i only have so much vacation time and like you know i have a wife and there's plenty of other things i want to do than spend my time with a bunch of libertarians like (laughs) i disagree fervently with a lot of republicans on a lot of stuff but i love their company like I've mm-hmm. worked in the automotive industry now for 11 years. These are my freaking people. Mm-hmm. I would go out on the weekends with them and drink, you know, till three or four in the morning. My bass player was at fucking January 6th. And <laughs> like me and him are super tight. He offered me a job when the whole world shut down. Said, hey, you know, hey man, you know, if you need anything, I'm right here. Um, like those are the kind of people that I want to spend time with, but like I don't know any libertarians that could have did the same thing for me because they're not focused on the same stuff that like you and I are like, Hey, make your life as fortifiable or, you know, fortify your life as much as possible. Have a solid network of dudes around you that are always going to have your back no matter what. Like if you don't have that, then like what, I'm sorry, but what good are you? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this is why um, people get so ideologically entrenched uh, in their positions. And when anybody speaks out um, against those, like, you know, that set of axioms, they're immediately persona non grata and we have to rip them apart. You know, I mean, of course, we saw this with our mutual friend, um, P. Quinones, when he went more of like the post-libertarian route and just everybody, yeah, everybody in like the uh, establishment libertarian circles, just ripping him apart, you know, calling you a traitor and a statist and whatever, you know, other bullshit uh, terms that like to throw out him and such but yeah i mean you see this all over the place and it's not just in libertarian politics you see this in like any online uh, subculture where people you know don't touch enough grass (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean 
it's part of the human condition. I was kind of talking to somebody about this on Twitter earlier today, where like, you know, now the thing is all the Trump supporters are running back to Anheuser-Busch because Trump said to, you know, that, oh, Anheuser-Busch is a great company. You should all come back <sighs> yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think I quote tweeted it and said, like, you guys would fuck your cousin in a Biden hat if Trump told you to. And this isn't like one thing specific to Trump supporters. It's really not because um, as a lot of right-wingers would probably call out that like you could put a corpse joe biden in front of any mm -hmm. leftist and they'll vote for him this is part yeah. of the human condition when politics has invaded this much space and capital in our lives that people feel like they don't have any other option but to oppress the other side at all costs mm -hmm. yeah well i mean i think that's another feather in the cap for why i'm uh, libertarianism is going to be a little bit of an issue <laughs> um people everyone wanting to be free right there mm -hmm. and that just goes on uh, all sides there but yeah you know i mean I, I you know my biggest gripe and why you know like i, I guess you call it like my biggest enemies are like your establishment conservatives and like center-right kind of people is just they all they do is express values and uh, opinions and none of them actually like follow through with any of them at right. all and all they do is just further give like ammunition to the positions of the left and just validate all the left's opinions on everything and uh, i think like the biggest culprits for this are like your daily wire types your jordan, yes. jordan peterson types they're they're absolutely fucking terrible at doing this tim pool is really bad at this too um mm. basically all, all they do is they see like some crazy leftist headline ho, 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 look what the left is doing today the left has gone insane let's have a dialogue and show how fucking crazy they are and the response really should be from matt walsh no matt don't go and make a documentary called what is a woman matt your response should be i'm going to ban you from all like public life and remove you from having any access to our kids and no you're not having a discussion about it and you know i mean i, I won't say anything more <laughs> on your platform here <laughs> but you know you can you can put two and two together yeah, dude, absolutely. And it's kind of funny because like we see this with like libs of TikTok, clown world, all these right wing rage bait. I refuse engagement. to follow it. I refuse to follow yeah. this stuff. I, I, I block, block it all that. Yeah. yeah, I I cannot stand it. I hate it. It's like the same kind of stuff where um obviously being in more dissonant right circles, you kind of get to more um uh, race uh kind of discussions. And there's like just endless accounts on Twitter that are showing nothing about like black guys like robbing innocent white women. It's like, dude, I don't I don't need to fucking see this. All right, stop. Stop with all of your, you know, like um, gore porn, basically that you're showing me all the time. Like, I get it. I understand like the the issues that we need to that that we're tackling with here, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't need to see it all the time. Yeah, dude, absolutely. And I blocked libs of TikTok, Clown World, all the engagement broker accounts that literally just throw rage and like fear porn in your face twenty four seven. Like that shit's. I can't imagine that's good for you to just constantly no. think that the whole world's coming down around you at all times. Like that is not a good mental place to be in. And like you should really ask, what is the purpose of this? Funny enough, Tommy was in the comments and um, he had texted me this. He said that uh, libs of TikTok is kind of like. I forget the exact thing that he used, but he said, it's basically like kind of calling out for somebody to do something. And I get that, but like, would you start to dig beneath the surface and you see who Chai Raychik is uh -huh. and yep. being an yep. Israeli national <laughs> and she's causing a stir up in the United States and then, you know, promoting, you know, pro-Israeli propaganda. We should start to ask some questions about that because I, if it was China doing this, people would lose their fucking minds. Yeah. But if it's Israel well, doing it, we're okay with it. It's, yeah. it's a very, very weird phenomena. It's just because uh, Chinese people look so different uh, from Westerners than 
you know, I'm a people of the certain group of the tribe do the tribe, uh, they can blend in, you know, the, the famous, you know, fellow fellow whites, you know, and uh, if, if, if it was like, if it was, if every Jewish person was forced to wear like blue face, like a blue man group or something, people would immediately notice what's going on in the white house. And such. They would immediately notice. Right. Well, and it's funny because like, Part of to your uh, to your point here is that what is the thing that all of them say right now, including Tim Pool? I heard him saying this the other day. Joe Biden's worried more about Gaza than he is our own southern border. Are you kidding me? Joe Biden is like all his cabinet is now even saying like he's the most personally involved with Israel. And you know, it was like a decade ago. If there wasn't an Israel, we would have to make one. And <laughs> the other line was, um. <laughs> If I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. Oh my God. My father told me I did not need to be. So I am a Zionist. The state of Israel is essential to the United States. It was literally like word for word, something just like that. So like it, it, they literally serve as gatekeepers essentially because they're basically making all right-wingers double down in their support for that certain country because they're being told that biden is leaving it behind so the reflexive reaction is oh well we have to support them because biden doesn't like them but the fact is that biden is a huge fervent to his core zionist yeah and this is one of the things i despise the most about uh the establishment uh right and i'll say this as well uh the MAGA movement has a really big issue with this as well um mm -hmm. people will recall um uh, matt gates uh, recently the um the, oh, the representative God. from down in florida who said like oh for every karen that we lose on the republican party there's a julio or a jamal ready to stand up and take its place i'm like dude are you fucking kidding me like the the most the worst uh political party in american history is the republican party and i'll tell you why and they do absolutely nothing for their base who vote for them by rates of 90 80 percent and no other political party uh, in american history and certainly i mean I, I guess the only other one would be like the tory party and uh in like the uk is like a close second here but uh, the democrats don't do this you vote for them you get something tangible from them right. you vote for, you vote for the republicans they give you absolutely nothing and in many cases they want to actively replace you i mean matt gates just said the quiet part out loud right there you know it's like a, we want more uh, cheap labor for our uh, big political donors it doesn't matter how that changes the fabric of our country and uh, you know as american politics continues to become more bifurcated it's essentially the democrat party is everybody except whites and and they also have single women on their side and the republican party is all whites and all married women and this bifurcation is becoming more and more and more noticeable every single election cycle and the republicans refuse to do anything that is actually in their base's interest they're more interested in sending more of their base to go fight in foreign wars for foreign groups who uh, you know uh, who also don't vote for them i mean jews vote like 85 percent for the democrats you know like same thing with blacks like 95 percent for the democrats um you know like uh, hispanics are slightly more slightly less sorry it's like 70 percent for the democrats and such it's like are you guys out of your minds like uh, just imagine real quick imagine if somebody like matt gates uh, went on the floor and proposed a bill and said you know what we are going to pass a tax credit for white families who have more kids that would be completely unbelievable no one would ever say that it would be on every single cnn headline for weeks saying this is the most racist horrible thing ever you know mm -hmm. no republican would ever dare say this and you know the other thing too is is that every single one of your daily wire types your charlie kirk types every one of them would say 
you know what? This is horrible. This is against the American founding. This is against what uh, we should be standing for as conservatives with conservative values. We should enforce the border being open for more people to come in and replace the people of this country because that's what the Constitution says. And it's like, fuck you guys. You're betraying your people. Yeah, just complete and total gatekeeping. And like you said, I, I, I see this happening a lot with Trump, too, where um, the very people who would vote for him, he insists on slapping them in the face all the time. And like that shit dressing nuts. Like, why wouldn't you want to encourage these people to, you know, get out and vote more or like they're, they're still going to vote for him, But like, why wouldn't you want to reward them for their loyalty? Because really, that's what they deserve. They deserve, mm -hmm. you know, being rewarded for their loyalty. And to go back to Matt Gates, it was so funny. And I want to I, I've praised him so much because like when he was putting forth these bills to end the AUMF in Somalia and ending, you know, the war in Syria and all this other stuff, um, that stuff's absolutely heroic and it should be praised. But then literally <laughs> I remember watching this interview and you could almost see the smoke coming out of his ears when he said, we shouldn't use the people's good faith on Israel to fund a, the war in Ukraine as well. It's like, you don't see you like, you don't see what you're saying here. Like I could see in his face, he knew what he was saying was wrong. But like when you have APAC reaching into your wallet and giving you cash, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get it, man. But like to even talk about APAC too, like the person that they've donated to most is Joe Biden. And then second is fucking Hillary Clinton. So mm. why are we trying to appease these people when they're never going to support you, or at least they're mm. never going to support you more than they support Democrats? Yeah, because because they're all conservatives, and the the thing they hate the most, more than anything, and to be honest, this is why uh, Donald Trump uh, garners so much loyalty from his uh, base, and you know, deservedly, I might add, is he was the first guy ever in American politics who stood up to the media and said, "No, uh, yes. fuck you," and mm -hmm. and honestly. It could have been anybody, and this is what's so amazing about Republicans. They just don't understand this at all. It's like they're 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 stuck in like 1970 or something. It's it's so weird to watch them. It's it's not like the attacks against Trump about like oh like uh, he's an adulterer and you know he's not a good Christian. And he says really mean things on Twitter and such. And why do none of these attacks stick? These attacks don't stick because the people the things that people like love about Trump are the fact that he attacks the people that have been attacking the core base of America for over a hundred years at this point. And Trump was the first guy who attacked the enemies of those people. It literally could have been like Joe Schmo down the street who would have said this and been running for president, and people would have backed him and would have given him the undying loyalty the same way this is why like your personality attacks on trump are never going to stick all they if they really want to do if they what they really need to do if they want to get rid of trump is they would just go to somebody who does trump better than trump does you know so it's like they kind of started trying to do this with vivek i mean i think he's got other problems most notably uh the color of his skin which you know i mean like um, people could say like oh that's horrible that's racist or whatever but like listen people look at him and they you know what when, when Vivek Ramaswamy gets on stage and he talks about like the founders of America, there's just something in, in the back of everybody's brain that's like, he's not really talking about us. You know, like he's, you know, like uh, I don't know if you ever saw what was going on with the um, the coronation of King Charles in um, uh, England, but the pri prime minister there, um, uh, Sunak, R uh, Rishi Sunak, is, um, is an Indian guy, right? And he's a Hindu, right? Mm -hmm. And he's yeah. getting up there swearing in the king and he's reading passages from the Bible. It's like, something's just off here this isn't correct this isn't right you know and so it's like vivek you could be on the team but you can't be the face of the team you know and 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 that's my position on the matter you know
So if yeah, they want to get rid of if they want to get rid of Trump, go they need to go more hardcore. Uh, is really what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, they need to get a better shit poster. Um, yeah. One th the other thing about Trump is that when they go into his personal attacks about him being an adulterer, like you said, is that like I actually kind of like him more for being just like a dude. Like oh, that yeah. whole uh, that whole thing blew up with RFK commenting. Wow, even though yeah, oh no, I loved it too. <laughs> but like I. Even if it like I believe what he said, like, hey, this wasn't my account originally. Okay, I'll I'll take it to that, but like, why not just own it? Because like that's part of the reason why people like Trump is because he didn't bullshit you about who he was. He didn't say mm -hmm. he was some upstanding moral person with these solid Christian values. He was a fucking dude. Like all the sex tape or not the sex tapes, but like, you know, the grab by the pussy stuff. I don't know. All the guys I work with in oh, fucking yeah. blue collar America, we they all love them. Yeah, they yeah, save well, more stuff than that. It, it, yeah. Exactly. So, like, I worked with one of uh, Pennsylvania's largest donors to Trump at my last job. And the fucking dude, you know, we, we have potty mouths. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. we're mechanics. We fix cars. So when you see a dude up there that just isn't afraid to say, yeah, arrest the motherfucker on stage <laughs> at a rally or something like that. Lock like, up. <laughs> yeah, that makes me like him because he's funny. He's relatable. He seems mm -hmm. like, you know, my fucking, he seems like my rich grandfather, even though, you know, rest his soul mm -hmm. he passed away like 15 years ago like if my grandfather was alive today he would have loved trump because he was just like him he mm -hmm. saw a young girl that was hot on the street he's like wow look at that like that's hot trump yeah. would do the same fucking thing and that's what makes him likable especially in such a long housed world that we live in today just like any <laughs> semblance of like masculinity is just right. so sought after it's like we're starving for it but yeah you're absolutely right and also you know like uh back to the talk about like trump is authentically him I mean, you know, people make jokes about him, like staying up until like three o'clock in the morning and tweeting from his account. But it's like, listen here, dude, I guarantee you that was actually him tweeting from his account. I guarantee you at no point when he was president, did anybody else have keys to his account? And yet we all know that Joe Biden probably hasn't even typed like one single character on his Twitter account that's coming into office, you know? So there is something authentic about him, even if uh, you don't necessarily like what he has to say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, it's just that relatability factor that no other politician really had. <laughs> Tommy, we were talking about cannibalizing. I won't say that word, but uh, tra Transformers today, eat the useless first. All right, man, you know what? Fair enough. You could say if if those people have a 40% rate of suicide that, oh, well, I probably shouldn't have said that, but a uh, 40% rate of uh, discontinuing their lives, then, you know, maybe they serve a better purpose that way. Um, you are fake news. Yeah, of course. The the mm -hmm. the Cordy and everything. You're fake news. Yeah, yeah, it was just peak Trump. And like, you know, uh, both of us, I'm sure, would have plenty to criticize like the political path of him and like his choices, mm -hmm. his appointments, and all that. But like the cultural impact of him cannot be overstated because like the right hasn't had a cultural figure like that in a very very long time. I think he's kind of at the point now where he's kind of outlived his usefulness. But at the same time. Like the right has a cultural figure that isn't just your generic standard Mitt Romney, John McCain Republican, who's going to just, you know, give you the classic talking points of, you know, we need to have a strong America and we need to cut spending. Yeah, well, you know, kind of like what you just described right there. I still see him as useful because the Republican sure. Party hasn't been beaten into the dirt yet. 
And uh, <laughs> once 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 that is done, uh, then maybe we could talk about um, if he has outlived his usefulness or not. I mean, sure. we saw in this primary season, the fact that we even had a primary season tells you that Trump is still useful to us. I mean, look at fucking Nikki Haley. She just lost to none of these candidates in the in the All Nevada right. primary. Sixty six percent of the vote went to nobody and thirty three percent went to uh, Nikki Haley. She got absolutely trounced and Trump right. wasn't even on the ballot there. You know, like it needs to be drilled into these uh, Republicans' heads, and it probably never will be. This is why I like um, uh, Vox Day's quote, the day of the pillow, because like, honestly, at that point, that's probably when we're actually going to have some political change, when like all your Mitch McConnells of the world finally shake off this mortal coil, because none of them are ever going to leave office. They have no respect. They have no honor right. in their system at all. They're just going to be there until they're literally dead, especially in like Dianne Feinstein's case. But though there will be more, uh, especially in the coming years here, and that's probably when we're actually going to have some semblance of change but yes like the republican party needs to be completely destroyed like ripped apart from the ground up and uh taken over by the trump faction of things now granted there are definitely a lot of problems uh with trump and his whole uh platform and everything like that but the the absolute like net gain of destroying the republican party is well worth it in my opinion of all the other uh nonsense that trump has particularly with his ego especially with stuff like the vax like that or the mm. the fires of unspecified origin yeah you know that's right. that was Fair really much. really bad yeah yeah exactly so that was a really bad knock against trump's record also uh the horrible zionist stuff i mean he's probably just as bad as biden on this issue um mm -hmm. you know so those are two really, really big knocks against him. But, you know, I mean, we take what we can get. It's so weird also to say that Donald Trump, he's easily been the best president in my lifetime, easily. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like an argument can be made like the last president that we had was any better was what you could say, maybe Reagan, but Reagan had a lot of problems with him too. So I, I, I find it interesting when I'm talking to, you know, like um, average Republican uh, voters and such who were talking in this like primary season and such. And I'm just thinking to myself, like uh, on what do you have to go on that like if DeSantis got into office he would magically be better than Trump which is very weird to me like to to hear discussions like that and you know I mean uh, DeSantis as far as I'm concerned should be the like the spokesperson for autism screams you know <laughs> that guy as a as opposed to running for office but you know and it was also kind of funny how immediately as he starts uh suspending his campaign he starts saying way more base things again which you know should confirm many people's suspicions about who was actually running his um campaign and such and they were all you know <coughs> uh, lincoln project and um uh you know uh let's just call them a bundle of sticks but yeah, it's kind of funny. So maybe we could kind of wrap on this too. But like the DeSantis campaign is very, very interesting to me because like if you look at DeSantis's record in Florida, and like I will caveat this, like DeSantis would have been way, 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 way worse on foreign policy than anybody. He is a mega China hawk. He's an ultra Iran hawk. I mean, he is as bad on foreign policy as a day is long, and especially when it comes to that specific country in the Middle East. Yeah, the fucker He's... went to that country to sign a bill for his mm -hmm. own state. Oh, yeah. And then. Which yeah, which would have been like, like unthinkable for the founders to think about that, like in American yeah. politics, you know, what? there was there was gripes going on back in the day when John Jay, who was on the Supreme Court, went to France uh, when he was sitting on the Supreme mm. Court and he almost got impeached for it. Like and now just American politicians from all stripes, whether it's senators, governors, representatives are just regularly spending time in foreign countries. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? This is so dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of questions to be asked there. And then not to mention the anti-BDS laws, which Trump did sign too, but like DeSantis mm -hmm. is way, 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 way stricter on this kind of stuff. But like, if you look at his COVID record and what he did for Florida, um, 
if you look at that, then you would have thought that like, hey, when he gets to a national level, he might be able to do something like that on a national level, or at least be a little bit more effective than Trump. At least that's been my perspective is that like, he seems to be like a lot more of an effective, an effective executive than Trump. Like he's much more ideological and also willing to kind of get shit done. But then like he runs his presidential campaign and like the people he hired, it, it was like, it, it was a disaster. Like mm -hmm. he had all the signs of being like the guy and then he became like, and granted, I think some of the stuff was like overblown. Like, I think the Trump camp unnecessarily went to war against him. Like, I think it was kind of stupid how hard they went against him. But at the same time, it's like, how did you just destroy like all the political capital you had when like you were America's governor six mm -hmm. months before you ran? Like you, you were like the guy. How'd you lose all that? So... Uh... When he first announced um, that he was actually going to run in a primary and primary against Trump, the first two things that went to my mind were, number one, well, you're basically set to inherit this party because you're like the number one politician on the Republican side once Trump is gone. So the whole thing is yours for the taking in 2028. And it's not like he's an old guy. He's what, like 44 or something like that? I mean, yeah, he's, not he's, pretty, yeah, he's, he's pretty Yeah, he's not very old. So my first thought to myself was like, okay so why aren't you waiting this out and then my mind went to well there's two possibilities here um one is is that you're just an idiot and you're like oh okay well i think that i can make a pass at trump here which you know was stupid from the start like anyone who had a brain just knew that like trump was going to get 80 percent of the vote in the republican primary and it was just stupid it's like okay so you're dumb or two you're controlled opposition and i mean i think it's been more than apparent at this point that the guy kind of just follows whoever's whatever like people tell him to do i think uh one of the really productive things for us to do at this point would be to look back at who was advising desantis around the COVID times because it seems to me he kind of just follows whoever is running his campaign at the time and i'd be curious to see if there were like some really based individuals that were running his stuff during the uh, COVID lockdowns and he just doubled down on it when it started to become a winning issue for him because if we recall at the beginning he was still like doing one of those um lockdown deals like all the other he states was. did you know Correct. the only the only state that didn't do it was uh south dakota with a uh, uh, christy gnome so mm -hmm. i think it would be interesting to have like a, a desantis retrospective uh as it were uh to see who was actually in his ear back then because as it relates to his campaign i think it's obvious uh the guy was just following whatever like his campaign advisors were telling him to do and a lot of them were just really really stupid decisions oh uh, so i think that's that's my take on the DeSantis thing. I mean, and if he wants to continue to pass a good legislature for the people of Florida, like, hey, uh, fantastic. I mean, like the guy won like 80% of the vote in his reelection bid in the midterms a couple of years ago. I bet you if that election was held in the fall this year, he would not receive uh, the same percentage of the vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's what's kind of ridiculous to me is that like <sighs> – and maybe you're right. Maybe it was just the people in his ear. Like, I think it was the people for the Brownstone Institute, like Jay Bhattacharya, that was kind of in his ear with the COVID stuff. And he really played that well. And then, like, when it came to fighting the woke stuff, um, it seemed like he really just had his finger on the pulse, much more so than Trump did, because this mm -hmm. was, like, the time when a lot of, like, the the medical treatment stuff kind of was going on and it seemed like trump was really starting to lose his way now it seems like he's kind of like fumbled his way back into like the right places and the right talking points but like desantis it, it, he just burned everything he had established that was really good to the ground and i don't think i'm going to be honest i think a majority of that was not his fault i think mm -hmm. it was like 
the people who's running his campaign, like you said. And then I also think it was just like the blind loyalty to Trump that just, you know, they saw him as a threat. And so they just wanted to, you know, beat him into submission. And that's kind of what petered a lot of that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, I, I kind of take like the 48 laws of power uh, route on this sure. one. It's like crush your enemies entirely, you know, and I think that uh, Trump is more or less some, well, at least attempted to do that in much of his campaigning, whether he's actually followed through with it in a legislature and in an office uh, sure. remains to be seen. Now, it, it's it's kind of hard to, you know, especially guys like us who have paid attention to politics, especially back what the energy was like in 2016. But this year, it, this year, the energy feels more like 2016 energy than it does 2020 energy to me. And I don't know exactly what that means yet. I mean, Trump is definitely saying some pretty base things and uh, spreading the Overton window a little bit wider as he tends to do. Once again, I mean, he's talking about deportations, which is like uh, an unheard of taboo uh, in this country for the longest period of time. Whether he actually follows through with that, if he magically gets into office here in the fall, remains to be seen. But I think... You know, basically what needs to happen is um, Trump basically just needs to get in basically and do like, you know, I, I won't exactly. It's not a, a direct corollary, so you can't really say this, but kind of like the melee treatment from my understanding, like melee in Argentina has kind of just gone in there and just immediately started slashing people from day one. He's like, no, nope, you're fired. This uh, this department is completely null and void. We're taking your uh, money and we're getting it to this other department. And all of you are out of the job. Get the fuck out of here. And that's basically what needs to happen for, you know, uh, you know, Trump to have any semblance of a successful presidency. I mean, we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, again, it's only fucking February here and the election is nine months away. You know, basically anything can happen in that time period, but we will see what happens. Yeah, man. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll be keeping up quite a bit throughout the ne next nine months and I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Um, part of me thinks it's going to be a lot more boring than people think, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe shit does pop off. I don't know. Um, my thoughts are, I think it's going to be Biden or not Biden. I'm sorry. Uh, Trump ekes out a victory over Biden and a lot of this legal stuff just kind of fades away. People forget about it because that's largely what happened over the last couple of months, even though we're still hearing about it a little bit. I think it's just going to largely be wander under the bridge by the time we get to election season. I think some of it's meant to, you know, kind of throw them off the path, but I, I uh, if I'm honest, I, I don't think many of it's much of it's going to amount to anything. I think it's just largely to kind of keep money moving around because he, he's great for everybody, right? I mean, Trump is the perfect boogeyman for the Democrats because they raise a ton of money. They get a lot of coverage off of them. And like some, I'm sure you might know some of the people that write articles, Kenny Cody and Brady Leonard uh, write articles for some big uh, conservative outlets. And they always tell them like, hey, you need to plug Trump at this article, even if it's not relevant to Trump, just because it gets eyes. So I think it's, he serves as a really good boogeyman to make sure that like hey trump makes a lot of money because people donate to him hand over fist the dnc gets paid because the democrats can fear monger off of him so like if they get rid of him nobody else is as threatening as trump is to mm. them so like what, what i don't see the the full 360 on why they would get rid of trump when like he's the perfect villain for them well it would certainly make sense for uh you know, for the lifespan of the regime here uh, to have Trump uh, back in the office here. Um, you have way too many people in the um, 
in America here are just being completely uninterested in the system and are pulling out of it. I mean, we see this in like military recruitment numbers. We see this in like labor force participation rates and everything like, mm-hmm. like Biden has, you know, I mean, and, and granted it's, it's not just Biden, but you know, like he's, he's crippled this country in the last uh, four years here. And honestly, like America has been on this path for decades beforehand. So it's not necessarily all his fault either, but you know, it's just like the, the average feel of the average American when you're just walking around on the streets these days, it's just like, yeah, they're absolutely hurting. There's like this miasma in the air. That's like a shroud that's over everybody's faces. Like it just feels depressed over here over the last four years, everything moves so slowly. Uh, you know, nobody's really excited about anything anymore over here. It just feels like we're limping along, you know, like an old dog, just like waiting to find his like resting spot where he's going to go die under a tree or something. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, actually kind of like uh, probably what Biden's going to end up doing too. So it's a perfect reflection of him kind of right so so i mean it would be wise for uh the regime to have trump come back in i guess the question would be um and this goes to an ongoing bet that two of my friends are having academic agent or on mcintyre are having over are they actually going to uh put put the woke away here and um or or on mcintyre is on the side of well uh, do they actually have a strong enough hold over their ideology, i.e. the regime, the left, to keep people in line to ensure that they can move the regime in that direction of letting Trump come back in? I mean, that remains to be seen. We've been talking about this on the Old Glory Club on Pony Express Radio, which is on Thursdays. We've been talking about like the three main you know, obstacles for Trump to get into um, – you know, the White House this year, I mean, number one was, is he even going to be allowed on the ballot? It seemed to come out at this point that that's basically like not an issue at this point. I mean, they tried to do it for a while, keeping him off some of them. Uh, it seems to have not gone anywhere. So, I mean, it seems like he's the inevitable uh, Republican nominee here. You know, so that's like one uh, checkmark box uh, or one uh, box checkmarked here. Uh, the second one would be, is um is he going to be in jail is he going to be in prison here come uh, election season and that still remains to be seen no doubt that they are intentionally um delaying these uh, trials and such to wait for later in the election season to see what's going to happen with that and then number three is how much fortification is going to occur uh in the fall here and those last two questions still remain to be seen so yeah obviously we'll be paying attention closely yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So this would be a good question to end on then. Um, I honestly believe that they will put the woke away if they no longer believe it serves their interests. I don't believe any of these corporate executives or any of the elites that we always hear and talk about um, really believe any of this stuff. I think they just see it as a way to keep people in line and to keep um, you know people docile. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but what do you think? Uh, I don't know. Like uh, I see the validity in both sides of this argument and I, I constantly go back and forth. And also in my own life experiences, I've seen it on both sides as well. So I don't really know as to what side, you know, uh, of this argument really is going to be one that wins out at the end. Um, part of me thinks that, yes, I think a lot of these, uh, executive corporations and stuff are you know doing it just because they have to basically like this is like what's in vogue right now and it's like oh yeah we have to have all this dei stuff but then uh, i think it kind of gets to a point where it almost like kind of metastasizes in your corporation like i don't know aside from like like an elon musk style takeover or like a fascistic government steps in like you're going to be able to unwokeify disney like I, i i don't really know how that's going to work like they seem completely ideologically bent to 
like burn that company to the ground at this point. And I don't really know if that's a ideological thing or if it's just like they're, they're old boomers and they don't know how to adjust to things and they can't stick their neck out to go against the grain here. Uh, right. I don't know. I mean, no doubt in some cases and in some companies, uh, it's one or the other. I mean, there's definitely going to be ideological people. I mean, like at every fucking Planned Parenthood, right? And and of course, yes. they have their, their tendrils in other places as well. But also at the same time, I mean, like... I don't know, like the airline industry, man. I mean, like once like one of these planes starts falling out of the sky here, I mean, <laughs> like I, I think their heads are going to be on the chopping block really quick here and they're going to have to get rid of that shit pretty quick. But then the question comes in is like, what are you going to do? How are you going to fix all this stuff? I mean, like there's like no young men that are working anymore. And the ones that are, I mean, like, are they actually working in like the essential jobs that you need here? So it's like, I mean, you're I mean, a person who's really doing a lot of work in this space is uh, my buddy, Aaron Clary, who uh, just uh, wrote a book the, this year that just came out. Last, yeah. World Without Men. Mm -hmm. And he's just basically listing out right here. It's like, listen, like this is like a generations long issue that we have to tackle here. Like there's nobody like there's like three generations of people here who don't know how to hold on to these crucial systems. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like there's no like old frank down at the you know the delta sky uh, the, the the delta airlines you know f factory that's building steel panels you know once he retires there's literally like three generations of people that can't come in to replace him so it's like maybe once the woke gets into some point it's just completely entrenched because there's literally nothing you can do to get sure. rid of it so yeah. i don't know i mean it's kind of blackpilling to think about <laughs> you know as to what the future of this uh country is going to be but uh you know it, you know, it's like that old quote, may you live in interesting times. Well, <laughs> we certainly are. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Uh, Red Hawk, I really enjoyed this show, man. We'll definitely have to do another one. Um, I, it, I feel like we've known each other for a lot longer than we have, and I'm glad that we have a mutual network of guys that are just uh, all good people. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you, check out your work, the old Glory Club, and all that good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, most of my work these days, um, you can either follow me on Twitter. I do have a YouTube channel. I haven't posted there for a couple of months. Um, I'm a tax accountant uh, these days, so it's tax season. It's busy as all shit. So I probably won't be uh, posting back on my regular channel until after tax season. But my other work these days can be found uh, at The Old Glory Club. Um, we do uh, Substack, uh, three articles a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then we have Thursdays is our um, podcast, Pony Express Radio. It's Thursday nights, 8 o'clock Eastern. It's basically just a around-the-panel kind of a news kind of show about uh, America from a more distant right-wing uh, perspective. And then also, if you are interested in any more of our work, you can check out theoldgloryclub.com on our website. We have um, chapter affiliations, so like actual like uh, sister groups of our parent organization. And it's basically like just meetup groups and such for uh, specifically men. So if you want to get into a group of other like base guys, um, you know, take a look at that and look into maybe, you know, setting up a chapter in your own area or um, signing up for one and joining one that already exists. So that's all I got to plug, man. And uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to do this. This was fun. Absolutely, man. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take care and good night.